let me let me just open this supposedly twist off beer. There we go. I now have my. This is slowly turning from a film podcast to an audio diary of two young adults descending into alcoholism. You know what? I I think that's we needed an overarching uh, narrative, narrative to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so we have one now. It works on multiple levels. It's kind of like poetry; it rhymes. Yeah, and I think uh, the alcoholism makes it more entertaining too. So it does. It's definitely going to make today's discussion more bearable. No one is complaining, except maybe us down the line. When it's actual alcoholism. Yeah, well, at least we'll be able to show our therapists uh, where it started. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Be able to present this at the AA meetings. It'll be preserved for all posterity. How are you? How's quarantine going? I mean, my life is essentially the same. I haven't been fired. So, really... I mean, I I haven't been fired, and I don't don't really go out all that much, so my life is essentially the same. Yeah, well, my my life has essentially just returned to how it was for the previous eight months, <laughs> except now I have motivation to work on stuff. Before well, I go. didn't, so yeah. But you know, you're I think you're underestimating the 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 movie slot we have going for today because i have some oh. i have some fun stuff planned you you don't know what's coming oh no we we're gonna have we're gonna bring nate into our intolerance discussion a little bit just a little are bit. are we yeah oh, we're no. gonna have i have a game show ready a quiz show already so that's oh, look God. forward to that that'll be fun with intolerance dreading it <laughs> well okay so here we go then um uh, I'm just going to go ahead and, um, as a disclaimer, I did not watch Princess Bride. That's fine. You've seen it before. I have seen it before. Yeah, I, That's literally, I, I, I finished it. it five seconds before we started this call. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and, I Nate, typically... and Nate watched it today, too. So, yeah. Well, well the, re- the reason being is that um, I've been prepping for our next episode, mm. uh, which we'll get into later. Um, and I think... I don't want to spoil the discussion, but intolerance took all about uh, about every fiber of my movie watching energy that I had. Uh, that's fair enough. Won't say this more. entire this entire month of April, um, because last month was the quarantine. I had a bit more free time than usual. Again, it's essentially the same, but I do have a bit more free time. Uh, I watched. A lot more movies than I usually do in a month. I try to keep it to at least three a week, typically around five or six. But last week I was, or last month I was going crazy. So this month I decided that this is going to be the month where I catch up on a lot of TV that I've been uh, neglecting. So uh, significantly, not significantly, but noticeably less movie watching this month. And then around May I'll get back into the swing of things. Well, I I applaud you for for watching television. In this dark time, as as you know, I'm not really much of a TV watcher myself. I have. Well, that's the thing is I'm not a huge TV watcher either, but there's so many shows that I started and I didn't finish. Ah, ah. yeah, it's I think Better Call Saul and Fargo. And beyond that, I don't really watch TV. Well, uh, I was going to say we uh, I'm going to catch up in Better Call Saul. I'm going to finish Nathan for you. Samurai Champloo, Ooh. Uh, The Naked Director, The Sopranos. Uh, a couple good ones. 
and Twin Peaks again. Well, watching it again. it's a decent list. And and look, I yeah. know for the audience, I know that there's great television out there. And yeah. you know, I have friends who who are like, why haven't you seen The Sopranos? And then there's uh, you know, people recommend stuff to me all the time. Television, and I tell them I just don't have time for it because especially recently yeah. like this month where i've legitimately just been working on website stuff 24 7 that mm. the fact that i've watched as many movies as i have so far is like i have to like physically force myself to stop working in order to watch a movie yeah that's the thing is that there's so many good tv shows and movies and books and video games you're just you're not going to get to them all no and as... i i have prioritized movies yeah above everything and i usually do too but these are just it's just a bunch of tv shows that have been nagging me for a while because i really like them and i never finished them so i just want to get all of this out all uh get it all out of the way so i can just reset the slate and then i'll go with every new show i'll stick to that show until it's done oh good well uh have you uh, sent the link to our guest i did he just hasn't responded okay so this week we are we have another guest like we did last week. This time it is our good friend Nathan Shuckman from Ohio. He was on our Best of the Decade podcast, episode number 10 and 11. And he should be on momentarily to discuss our first film, which is The Princess Bride. Yay! Oh, is he on? Oh, no. Well, all right. Let's let's continue our discussion until he gets here. Of TV or Princess Bride? Oh, anything. What have we been doing? Uh, stuff you've been, been up to. essentially building a website. Well, the website has been built. I've been working hard on on the YouTube stuff and just building up a uh, a better system for the the film sync in general. That includes like the Instagram. There's actual stuff going on there, and I'll be honest. I you know. People have found the podcast within the past couple days through Instagram because of the stuff I posted. Um, yep. Which is great. And it's good to finally, you know, see some results kind of instantaneously. Because so far, you know, Squarespace, the way that Squarespace does analytics, I, I legitimately have no actual idea of how many people listen to the podcast. I, I know for certain that there are 13 people that subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. Uh-huh. But that's just Spotify. I cannot tell you how many people listen on the website or iTunes or Google or just elsewhere. That's true. Um, that's true. And it's frustrating. I don't really, not having a number of like, uh, what is the actual audience? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, when I post stuff on YouTube and I do stuff on social media, there's a much more instantaneous reaction feedback of like, oh, who's interested in what we're doing here? Uh, for the record, uh if anyone wants to subscribe to the YouTube channel, it is uh, thefilmsync.com. Or, no, the, the Film Sync on YouTube. That's sync with no H. I, half the time, whenever we say the Film Sync, I just think of someone washing their Blu-rays in a sink. Uh, That's also true. So that's also true. Maybe that should be our logo, because we've been talking about we need one of those. Uh, Yeah, I... I got I so social media postings hard. I made a schedule, but I forgot to take it home. <laughs> well, uh, I'm just one of the things I'm trying with Instagram is just let's just post clips from movies that we're watching, and then I'll get 
I'll get like one sentence reviews like I did today for Yee Yee. I posted a video of Yee Yee. I got a one sentence review from you and it went up on Instagram. And that's just kind of fun because I get to share Yee Yee with people, which more people should watch it. You're still in this call. Me? Yes, I'm still here. Are you still here? Can you hear me? Uh, well, I'll be sure to edit all this out. Well, here's something you, you, you shouldn't cut out. What? Uh, I don't know if you kept up with the news today, but we did lose a great man. We did. Are we talking about the same guy? Are we? The director? Nobuhiko Obayashi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Maker of House. Yes. House. Yes. House. Uh, so this is it's kind of I thought we'd just do a, a very brief discussion of House. Sure. Just because why not honor the man? I personally have not seen any of Obayashi's other movies. I don't think many um, people have. Yeah, uh, it's it's strange. Uh, but House from 1977. Seven, I think. Um, it is an interesting movie. It, it, it is, is unlike uh, anything else. It really is. Uh, it is a movie that's um, kind of along with like Salo and Clute is kind of like a meme movie. Mm, yeah. Uh, as far as Criterion movies go. Uh, but this one, I don't understand its meme-ness aside from the fact that it's just bizarre. Uh, bizarre is an understatement. Yeah, well, it, you're, you're not wrong. It is a movie where a man turns into a pile of bananas. <laughs> It is a a drug induced fever dream, and I encourage anyone who just wants to be perplexed by a movie to give House a watch. That's one of the most, I think, probably one of the most iconic uh, cover arts in all of Criterion. You know, a lot of people say that. I I think I'm just so used to it. Like I have seen the house cover art for years years before i even yes. saw the film and so i'm just kind of it's just there it's like it's, but i think that speaks to its uh its notoriety yeah is well, that you know what it was before you knew what it was yes but think of it like the apple logo it's so iconic it's just like oh it's just there you don't think twice about it so yeah. whenever i'm thinking oh good designed criterions i'm like uh I, I just don't think of house. Not that it isn't. Yeah. It's just yeah. that it's always It's interesting because yeah, if yeah. you go on the Criterion website, uh go on their gift shop, um, they have three t shirts or three shirt designs. They have the Criterion logo, the Janus Films logo, and then they have a house shirt. Yep. It is it it is the one thing that salvages the color orange, in my opinion. I like the color orange. Not you should you sh probably shouldn't be wearing it, but well, that's the only case in which I'll accept someone wearing an orange shirt. Yes, it's still not a great color uh, for a shirt. Yes, I think um, orange is a good color for a shirt if you're like like a child. Yeah, like if you need uh, if you're going to summer camp and the camp counselors need to be able to spot you easily in the. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, there's hunter safety orange as well. Yes. Hunters wear orange. Um, but for people who are getting into like collecting criterions, um, I think it's one of the first ones you should own. I don't know if it's one of the first ones you should watch. I don't own it. 
You I, don't own it? No, oh, I probably I want to buy it at some point. I just haven't gotten around to it. It's not. Yeah. I'll say this. I House is one of those movies that its reputation preceded it. And yeah. I tried watching it once or twice and I never got into it. I don't think I ever got past 10 minutes. And I just was like, ah, I'm not into this right now. And then eventually I watched it in its entirety. And I'm like, wow, that was weird. It's really interesting. And then I moved on with my life. Yeah, the thing about House is that as good of a movie it is, it doesn't like earn its reputation until the last 20 or 30 minutes. It is consistently strange, but it is not insane until the very end. Right. Um, it really is hard to describe, though. It's just it's it's. Do you have uh, the house criterion? I do. Oh, what are, any interesting bonus features on there? I don't know. Oh, OK, cool. <laughs> Uh, me, I think I bought it during the first flash sale of last year without ever having seen it. And typically when I buy a bunch of Criterions from the flash sale, I'll watch them all and then never watch the features until later. So I'll have to go back. Yeah, I as far as blind buys go, I usually do like one per flash sale. I think, yeah. I think that's a good uh, number. Although... Sometimes I just have so many movies that I, I want, like I've watched so many things and like, I really love this and I want to buy it that I just fill up my cart with things that I've already seen and like, I can't bring myself yeah. to delete any of them. And yeah, it's tricky. Heaven's Gate. That's been a, a one that I've been interested in blind buying for a while. Oh my God. Really? Even though, well, hey, I am someone who is just into long movies. You know this. I know, but it's, it's whatever deer hunter man yeah yeah it's his movie yeah i i'm i am game look i'm gonna give every movie a fair chance and i am happily i want to watch it at some point and there's other movies i want to blind buy the um i think the last time i blind bought something it was uh the friends of eddie coyle with oh. robert mitchum it's oh a, robert mitchum it's a good movie that's a it's a fun uh, well i shouldn't say fun it, it, it's a well-made bostonian uh dreary crime kind of film so oh, i sure. recommend okay. it yeah. well uh the i don't know if you got your email from criterion uh with a ten dollar off coupon i did i can't spend it i don't have any income uh that's fair that's smart well uh, the purchase i made was a blind buy uh and i bought david cronenberg's naked lunch interesting what what have you heard of naked lunch I know it is a David Cronenberg adaptation of a William S. Burroughs novel. And both Cronenberg and Burroughs are people I've been wanting to get into for a while. So I figured this is the logical first step. I don't think I've ever seen a Cronenberg movie. Not even The Fly? No. Oh, wow. No? Like, is there are there more than one Fly movies the one of jeff goldblum is the cronenberg one no i have not i have most certainly not seen the uh jeff goldblum cronenberg fly. well there are a lot of stills from the fly that creep me out and i do love some practical disgusting movie monsters mm. so oh yeah oh yeah i know the general plot of naked lunch but it is one of those movies that because of my adoration for practical movie monsters I'm going in as blind as possible. I'm not looking at any stills. I'm not looking at the actors. I barely looked at the synopsis. 
I want to experience it in the dark, late at night, with next to nothing informing me beforehand. That's exactly how I'd like to experience uh, a David Lynch film that I haven't seen yet. Yeah. Okay, quick tangent to uh, uh, David Lynch. Sure. Um, have you ever seen A Simple Story? I have not, no. I just learned of its existence last week. You, you didn't know it even existed? I didn't know it existed. Huh. I literally had no idea David Lynch made a Disney movie until last week. And now it's all I've been thinking about. Oh, hey, there he is. Oh, oh, there we go. Finally, we've been been passing the time till you got here. All right. So after a long delay of trying to get some audio stuff figured out, we have our special guest here with us today. Nathan Shuckman. Say hello. Oh, what's up, guys? Yeah, how's it going? It's good to be on. Happy to be here. Second time around. You're you're back from your you were on here before for the best of the decade podcast episode ten, and now you're back again, and we're happy I, to have I, you. I am what you would call a seasoned vet. You, you would definitely call yourself that, yes. And I continue. I will. I will. Okay. This so is the second tour. You you are in Ohio, and how has quarantine been for you? Have you uh, what have you been keeping yourself busy with? Um, honestly, not a whole lot changed <laughs> with the quarantine because I was pretty much doing the same thing I'm doing now, coming home, playing video games. So you're still uh, working? Yeah, still working because I work on a farm and we are essential work. So I still have a job, which I am happy about. Blessed. Lucky. You work on a farm. I feel like that gives people the wrong picture of what you do. Yeah, he's not milking point. chickens out there. No, no he's no. filming the milking. You don't, you don't want to milk a chicken. Um... Yeah, I'm filming this stuff with the camera. Not milking chickens, but like they harvest he's vegetables. Not, and he's not harvesting the milk from chickens. No, no, no. He's teaching other farmers how to harvest the milk through videos. Mm-hmm. I've already done my time, dude. I've already milked my chickens. I'm teaching others now. This is extremely funny to me because there's... Do you both know what uh, kosher is? Yes, it's uh, the Jewish word for meat, I think. <laughs> No, it's the dietary <laughs> restrictions. So, very funny, Chandler. <laughs> anyway, so one of the dietary restrictions is that you can't eat milk and meat together. You can't eat milk in any religion. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> you can go fuck yourself, Chandler. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? And yep. so, I didn't even drink. In the Bible. <laughs> it, <laughs> Look, listen. The second I am, beer is already kicking in. I am two beers deep. I don't, need the, I don't need this shit. Okay, so eight two beers. You hide the bottle and everything. Uh, <laughs> right. So, like, Continue. in the it's funny. It's funny. Um, well, the the Jewish faith. Uh, you said they say you can't eat, you know, milk and chicken together. But the Christians, you can't uh, you can't eat beer and glass together. So, Chandler. oh, it's true. Mm, okay, no, well, you can't in the Bible. It the Old Testament. It says you can't eat milk and meat, and it's referring God, to like, God specifies it kind of a lot, like an aggressive amount. It's yeah, it, it's referring specifically to to beef, right? Like you're yeah. not supposed to mix the the milk coming out of the mother and the meat of the cow itself, right? Yeah, 
And then the, the, the rabbis essentially said, hmm, well, if people start eating chicken and milk, then they're going to start, it's a slippery slope all the way to eating oh, you're gonna start uh, smoking cheeseburgers. And then it's downhill. Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. then you're going to be incarcerated uh, for, for petty drug crimes and you'll never get out of the system. Um, so in order to make sure that the, the good Jews of the world never fall into that pit trap, they were like, oh, you know what, you can't have chicken Alfredo too. Just can't do that. Now that is horrible. That's tough. it is. That's my favorite. And food. my my response to any any uh, rabbi or Jew who tells me that is, you show me a chicken that I can milk, and I will stop eating chicken Alfredo. <laughs> Come down to Chandler's farm. Apparently, he's got him by the dozens. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you guys you guys know how to milk chickens, right? I wasn't aware. No, you have well, the, not... open their beak and then. What's no, it? no, no. I'm talking about roosters, not ch- like chick chickens was that what chicken milk is no a rooster's milk is uh, located in the talons oh so you like you like give a little uh tug on the talons yeah you have to give a tug on the talons yeah of course yeah. where else would the you sharper uh, the better the milk well hmm. i don't know hmm. well, well sharp, the sharper is easy it's easier to cut when you eat your milk so that's good beer was the greatest addition to this podcast since parasite i'm just saying that now they were both pretty good. Uh, you know what boggles my mind? Because I, I was looking up this morning. Chandler sent us to the sent to the group chat about how Martin Scorsese has a new movie that he's trying to get made and for a two hundred million dollar budget, right? Yeah, and then I was ridiculous. like, "Well, how many Oscar winners could you fit in that budget?" And I'm like, "Well, pretty much all of them." Because <laughs> like Parasite, Marriage Story, Paras- yeah. Lighthouse, Little Women. These are all these are films made for a surprisingly small amount of money, and I don't understand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How, why Martin Scorsese needs so much money. It blows my mind that The Lighthouse is made for like $10 million. No, it's like $6 million. It's Oh, it's less than that? It's cheap. Yeah. They erected their own lighthouse. Well, yeah, I but that's all, that's all they had to do. That's true. You're right. Never mind. I redact my uh, bewilderment. Nate, when Chandler makes his feature film, how much money are you going to charge him? $40 million standard. Oh, so he can make it for under $50 million? Or is he going to need a $20 million budget? At least 50 Oh. Because I'll be taking... Yeah. Most of that, yeah. For, yeah. It makes sense. You're 80%. responsible for the visuals, so... Exactly. You don't want a lens cap on there. You can't skimp on that. Skip, you know, skimp true. on that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be revolutionary in the sense that every single scene will feature a different lens. Every single shot my will kind be just film. a different focal length. Mm-hmm. And when and when you and when you put the numbers together, it's a code. <laughs> Can we discuss the Princess Bride, please? Yes. Okay. That's that was a long ass tangent. I'll probably cut out a lot of that. No. No, all Perfect. of it. Probably. So we watched the Princess Bride. This is uh, one of Nathan's favorite films. I really, I forgot what Chandler thinks about it. About it. I, I like it. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, uh, Nate, since you're the guest, would you like to introduce the film of the week? Oh, uh, sure. The film of the week is a Rob Reiner picture titled The Princess Bride, starring such people as Billy Crystal and Andre the Giant and Robin Wright's Billy the role. Billy Crystal is not in this movie. Yes, he, he is. is. He's the magic, the miracle guy. Is miracle he Max. Really? He's yeah. Miracle Max. Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> Un- right. Unrecognizable. Wow. You wouldn't be able to tell. 
I literally didn't recognize. Okay, yeah. continue. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I mean, I was I was pretty much done. Started some great actors. Um, Fred Savage, Robin Wright's Fred Savage is in there. Peter Falk is the grandpa's great. Peter um, Falk, Christopher oh Guest. Goodness. Oh, There's a, um, a lot of good people in this film. This this movie, actor. this movie just seems like a bunch of famous veteran actors came together and were like, "Let's just have fun. Let's just have fun on a on a movie for a few weeks and make something." The don't take it too seriously. That's and what yet, it feels like. It's that lack of seriousness that makes this movie. It really is. So yeah, who wants to start with their their opening thoughts on the the Princess Bride? Uh, I'll just go ahead and say um, I'm not as big into the Princess Bride as all of you all are. I do like it a lot, um, but I will say that despite this not being one of my favorite movies, I can't necessarily say that there is a better sick day movie. Hmm, it's perfect for that. I think it's mainly because that's how the narrative is framed, that it's like a story that Fred Savage is hearing when he's in bed. Mm -hmm. But this is the perfect day where if you're not feeling too well, you're bedridden. Just put it on. You can fall asleep to it. It's got a a very easy going uh, tone to it to where you don't necessarily need to check in for all of it. It is just the perfect accompanying movie to being bedridden and tired well it's because yeah. it's just so light-hearted and yeah because it, even it's uh, a like the, the the actiony parts are fun but the the scary parts are never like they never linger even the the drama never really lingers they undercut it pretty quickly mm-hmm. either with like a joke or a gag or something there's pretty low stakes nature of the whole film. yeah there's pretty low stakes throughout the entire thing no one's well, no one's really. I wouldn't in even real say peril. low stakes because the the torture parts in the end are are <laughs> well, surprisingly scary. Yeah, it's interesting because I think I think all three of us have at least watched it more than twice at this point. And, three times, and, and I own the Criterion. Us. Yeah, Same. And it's a great Criterion. It's a so great Criterion for the three of us watching it now, or as Chandler uh, not watching it today. I did um, not watch it this week, unfortunately, <laughs> but. We all are extremely, like, extremely familiar with the narrative. So it, it literally could be like background noise and we could fill in the images ourselves. Yeah. Essentially at this point, because oh, it yeah. is, it's simple. It's nothing too flashy, but it's memorable. Right. Mm-hmm. It's up there for me with uh, along those lines with like Star Wars and Caddyshack to where I can, in the background, I could just hear the lines and I could visualize exactly like where it is in the film, the story and whatnot. Right. But for me, I'm. At no point during my watch of this film was I was was I like oh what's gonna happen? I, I literally like literally the the main character dies at one point, and at no point are you worried that something is like there's not gonna be a happy ending at the end. Yeah, this isn't parasite levels of of tension going on here. Well, yeah, that's the thing is um, this movie is similar to Grand Budapest in the sense that it is framed as a story. Um, and I think that is what ex- I'm not going to say excuses, but accentuates a lot of the more um, like theatrical stage production type uh, production design, like the entire cliffside 
sequence where <laughs> it's a sword insanity. battle. It's fantastic. The Cliffs of Insanity! <laughs> it's, I mean, it looks insanely fake, but the fact that it's all framed as this storybook, uh, story time type story, is, uh, it, it just makes it work so well. The whole ship, like the part where they're on the ships and they're in the water, I just, I think of, whenever I see that, I think like, wow, that much, that must be like the largest indoor water pool soundstage. Oh, yes. Like, I never get the feeling they're actually in no, the ocean. No, 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 no. And clearly so. But it's it's like we did with um, with my capstone film, Dreamcatchers, where we were in a room and we just made sure that the room was big enough so that the edges were dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you didn't know where it ended. And that's exactly what they feel, what I feel like they did there, where they just, you know, they lit the center of it and left the walls, the edges of the, the, sta- the soundstage go into darkness. And then you can't really Certainly. be 100% sure where like the end of it is but they're pretty clearly in a stage or some kind yeah, of constructed and I love environment that yeah because it's such a theatrical movie and oh certainly a very quotable movie oh the hits Let's just, just get that stop. right out the gate they just don't because it, it's really they they had they have that um that literary way of speaking especially mm-hmm. Wallace Shawn who oh my god i love Wallace Shawn is kind of one of the greatest villains in movie history i'm gonna say it he's not like the most adept or the most terrifying but he has that smugness that you kind of need to hate yeah that and i love wallace sean as oh an he's actor. fantastic if there's he's one great. if i have one issue with the film it's that wallace sean is only in it for a third of the film yeah mm-hmm. i don't even rem- remember who the main villain is Prince Humperdinck. Oh, the king. Prince that's Humperdinck. Right. Technically. That's right. No, that's not right. the king. It's Prince. The prince, yeah. yeah. The prince. I, every the every time... that old senile man, and I love yeah. him so much. Every <laughs> time I watch the film, I get, like, I think when I was younger and I watched it, I was like, oh, Prince Humperdinck. He's just the king. I never mm-hmm. noticed the king in the background of the film, because he's really, like, not even yeah. there for most of it. Yeah. He has a great line, though, after she kisses him on the cheek and says, I'm, you've always been so nice to me, I'm, I'm going to go kill myself. And he says, oh, won't that be nice? <laughs> she kissed me. That <laughs> cracks me up. It's just such a beautifully simple story. Everything about it. The look, the performance, the actual narrative. It's just so simple, a simple quintessential fantasy. Nothing crazy or flashy because it doesn't need to be. Oh. And what's great, like every actor takes it seriously, too. They yeah. all buy, like, buy into the story and commit to their roles, and it works it's... very well. Who is uh, the oof. the swordsman? Why am I forgetting his name? Inigo Montoya. Yeah, who who? What actor is that? Because he is he's another by, like whenever he says in in the um, let me just get out of the way before I forget the sword fight between him and Wesley. It's one of my favorite sword fights in all of cinema. It's so much oh, yeah. And I am it's someone great. who loves like my samurai films and Star Wars. So sword fights are like my shit. But there's just the banter's perfect. And the way in the way Inigo says, like just whispers, I am Inigo Montoya. The way he like that line, it's become iconic for that reason. Like, it has. It, it's perfect line delivery, if I've ever seen it. It's because it's a great internal and external conflict going on seamlessly it is a banter scene just as much as it is a sword fight 
a literary and physical sword fight. Hmm. And you know, both of the actors were, they did all of that. So they learned how to fight both left-handed and right-handed and did the, the whole thing. Well, good for except them. For, except for the jumps where it's very clearly yeah. a different person in the wig. <laughs> yes. Very clearly. Very clearly. Uh, yeah, this is, um, uh, there is a sort of, there's a very, there's an elegance to fencing over all sword fights. And I, I, it's like the only movie that I can recall that makes fencing look as cool as it is. So to move the, the conversation again, uh, I would ask each one of you, when was the first time you watched it? Like what age were you when you first saw the princess bride? Uh, I was eight, seven or eight, because in my elementary school, uh, whenever there was either a rainy day or a heat advisory day, because I'm from Arizona, of course, uh, they would instead of having recess, they would put us all in the library and screen a movie. Uh, and one of the movies that w- uh, was screened was this one. And even as an eight year old, I, you know, I had a bunch of my friends uh, in elementary school because, you know, you're eight years old and yeah. you're it's it's you don't want to watch a girly movie. No, of course. And not. they all even they were like, oh, this movie's great. Yeah. I think that's why it's so renowned is because it has something for both little boys and little girls. And you can even see that in the actual narrative because the kids like, oh, they're kissing. It's Ew. built in. Yeah. Yeah. So, Nate, what's your, your history? Couldn't even tell you when I first saw it. It's just always been a part of me. Yeah, I think that's that's probably would be my answer, too. I think I probably saw it a little later than most people did. I know it's it's one of my mom's favorite movies, so she's she started showing it to me early. Oh well, your mom has good taste. Yeah, I'm, well, yeah. At least concerning she's the princess a great mom. bride, I love my mom. She's amazing. Yes, um, concerning the princess bride. Yeah, but much. so one of the things is like we've all watched it when we were younger, and one of the really weird things about Princess Bride, at least for me, is that it has actors that I like they kind of disappeared in my life for a while. And then I saw them many years later as I got into film. And then I didn't make the connection between them and the princess bride, like Robin Wright, Billy Crystal, all of these people. And, Mm -hmm. and then suddenly after I had watched a bunch of movies and I came back to the princess bride, I started like drawing connections and it's just one after another. I'm like, that's who that is. Robin right. Wright is the star of, is the and main person. Like I know Robin Wright more from House of Cards than I do Same. from Princess Bride. And Same. she's completely different, utterly different in every mm-hmm. way. It it still boggles my mind. And she's wonderful in this. It goes without saying. Oh yeah. There's not a single bad performance in this movie. Right. But the the one that I learned about today. Do you guys know who the screenwriter is? Because this is interesting. Is, is it not Rob Reiner? No, it's it's William Goldman. He also wrote the book. He wrote the book, but he also is a Academy Award winning screenwriter in his own right. He wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and All of the President's Men. Wow. Oh, heavy hitter. Interesting. Which are just... Completely different. Could not movies. be more different. Yeah, I was about to say, the, pr- the all the presidents' men is probably the farthest you can get from the Princess Bride. 
real this, life this political thriller. It is a parody. Is what this yeah. film is. It's a parody of of the swashbuckling tales like that. But uh, yeah, but just the, the thing about the beautiful. the whole parody part is that it's not like the the swashbuckling films were necessarily uh, big in the public consciousness. Well, neither were like the serials. That's when true. Star Wars came out. That's I don't, true. I don't know what point I'm trying to make. Well, that, that's but. the thing is that this whole movie, like, I can tell that it's a parody because it definitely feels very goofy, but it's so earnestly goofy that it really blurs the line for me sometimes in a good way. It's kind of like yeah. the whole idea of this movie. I think a lot of the the genius of the framing device is that a lot of the tension comes not just from the actual stakes of the story, but the uh, sort of intermittent, like, real world stuff where the grandpa is, like, not telling. They get into little arguments where the kid's like, oh, tell me what's next, where you're kind of also feeling the same way. Just shut up, old man, and continue with the story. Um, but I think this whole dynamic between the grandpa and the kid is also pretty interesting because it kind of reflects the this idea that it's a really fun movie to watch as a kid. And it's equally as fun, at least for me, to watch as an adult. It's a fun story to both hear and tell. And I just think that it knew from the start that it was going to be like this timeless story. Nate, do you have anything? <laughs> I, I have plenty of stuff. I have notes to the end of time. <laughs> I have. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to see how long that's. Do you want to? Do you want to try just? Let's just quote the film for the rest of the podcast. That's I can. I was I was gonna let Chandler have his his moment in the sun, and then I was. That's gonna it. Really I don't have. I don't know a lot it. of the quotes. I don't know a lot um, of the quotes. You can go first ahead. of all, I just wanted to say, of all these, wait a second. First of all, I just wanted to say, of all these performances, um, obviously they're all fantastic. The one that I noticed the most on this view was Christopher Guest as the Six Fingered Man. He's like oh, yeah. he's like genuinely kind of scary at sometimes at some yeah. points. Probably the only character who has, like, actual seriousness to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, like, dead serious. I love, um, in that scene, the machine. He says (laughs) at one point, he said, I just sucked one year of your life. I hope someday to go as high as five, but I don't know what that'll do to you. The machine goes up to 50. If he's, like, hoping to go up to five, it's made to 50. I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) <laughs> and then when he pushes it all the way up to 50, he like, stands up and shouts, like, horrified, not the 50! It's at the very beginning of that sequence when he is explaining it to Wesley. And he's like, this is for posterity's sake, so please do be honest. Just cracks me up every time how, like, he takes it so seriously that he's about to torture <laughs> this person. He's, he's writing the seminal work on it. Yeah, on pain, that's great. On torture. I would just like to take a quick second here to uh just give a little uh background to rob reiner because i feel like rob reiner in the grand scheme of famous directors is a little slept on sure just because he's got yeah yeah not in the sense that his movies don't do well i just feel like when we talk about great directors he's just absent from the conversation i just want to read off real quick this is the same man who did The Princess Bride, Stand By Me, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, Spinal Tap, and A Few Good Men. All of which range from pretty good to great. 
And I think a lot of people just forget that Rob Reiner is the guy who did all of these. And he's a very diverse director. Not exactly a um, director that necessarily has a style or uh, a, you know certain cinematic fixations that differentiate himself from the rest. But I just want to throw my hat in the ring at for Rob Reiner. As a pretty damn good director. Rob Ryder feels like the kind of director where he, like, he he suddenly appeared on the movie scene, did what he needed to do, gave us some great movies, and then just kind of faded into the background and doesn't need... Well, doesn't it wasn't need... necessarily a fade so much as a fall from grace. What happened? I don't really know all that much. Then, uh, yeah. He has made some shit. Yeah. <laughs> has he? Yeah. I, I don't know. For all his greatness, there's um, a shit right behind him. See, there I'm, is... I'm fully in the camp of I just forget about Rob Reiner's existence. I, I apologize for that. So I really have no other than like Stand By Me, Princess Bride, and a few others. I don't really know what he's done with his he's, I think the last movie he made was an LBJ um, biopic starring Woody Harrelson that came out the same <laughs> year. The LBJ movie with Brian Cranston came out. <laughs> <laughs> i think that is the last the thing there. that nice. he did oh no so he's he's still around he's still working well you know he's he's also a pretty decent actor because he was in the wolf of wall street he was yeah that's right yeah he's uh uh jordan belfort's dad oh oh shit he's in a he's few tv a shows stuff. yeah a new girl is a show i really like that he's in Plays Zoe no, Deschanel's he, dad. He's just like the stereotypical like dad. So dad. He really is though. older dad. Stereotypical and, older dad. And while we're at it, I don't want to necessarily um, jinx this, but Carl Reiner is still alive. <laughs> Who is Carl Reiner? His dad. Ah. <laughs> Him and Mel Brooks are very good friends. Both of them still alive. I see. Yeah, yes, Mel Brooks. I'm just right. waiting for the coronavirus to take Carl Reiner, and I'm going to feel like an asshole. Well, this this podcast up. is delayed by two weeks, so... Okay, so we can cut it. Yeah. But don't. Okay. I want to publicly uh, have it out there that I cosmically caused Carl Reiner to die. No, so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm looking at Rob Reiner's filmography and I see a few good men and then I don't recognize anything. And he's done at least 10 movies after Spinal that. Tap? Spinal Tap was before that. It, that was his first okay. film. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I've seen the Bucket List movie with <laughs> Jack Nicholson and uh, Morgan Freeman. I thought that was okay, mm. but not great. Well, to get back on topic a little bit. Yeah, but that's not our I One of the things <laughs> I, I've never, I've always known is a good thing about The Princess Bride, and I've never put into words, is the fact that it gets the romance of the film out of the way in the first five minutes of the, of the movie. It's literally, it's there. I think there's three exchanges between um, Wesley and Buttercup, and that's it. That's all you need. And there's also just, there's just a palpable sexual tension in the beginning there really is. of the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, that you really, well, you can't notice as a kid. Well, that's, I really like that decision because. I feel like a lot of the reasons that I kind of roll my eyes at a lot of Disney movies is that there's this whole will they won't they thing. There's a purity that to we them. all a chastity. Yeah, we we all know that it's going to happen. 
Um, so the fact that they just get it out of the way in the first five minutes is actually really refreshing. It's nice. It, it gets to the movie then can spend time on the things that are important, like parody of Swashbuckling. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's interesting you say that because then uh, it made me think when um, Prince Humperdinck did something bad or whatever and it cut back to the kid and the grandpa. And the grandpa's like, oh, well, he lives. Like, he doesn't die. Like, you'll look nervous. I'm just letting you know. That, all, that also, like, as the audience, we we take that possibility of like, oh, who's going to kill him? That question's done, out of the way. So don't yeah. focus on it. We got other things to worry about and yeah. to and, laugh at. And little Fred Savage is, is like clutching the blanket. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Maybe I was a little concerned. <laughs> See, I like I like the way that this movie cuts back and forth between fantasy and reality. Mm-hmm. It never feels like a cop out. Is this a kissing um, book? No. <laughs> I also love the the grandpa. Oh, your vote of confidence is overwhelming. <laughs> the grandpa's great. Peter Falk's fantastic. And then at the end, when he stands up, he's like, "All right, We're touching around. Okay, all right, all right, okay." I, still, it's, I it's love that. And I one do of my that. one awesome. one of my questions of the film was like it. It feels like like Buttercup is just on the farm alone, and she just has hired mm-hmm. Wesley because it feels like no one else is on there. Right? Yeah. Like, no one's <laughs> no there. No importance. No, right? And, you know, she says, um, the narration says, she discovers that when he says, as you wish, he really means, I love you. And and then my mind just went to, want to smash? <laughs> <laughs> That's why this movie is great. It's, <laughs> it's really great. Let's also not uh, uh, ignore the fact that both these people are just hot. They are. Yeah. Robin Wright. Yeah. They're they both classically people. good looking. Mm-hmm. Oh, and don't don't forget to mention Wallace Shawn. Oh, well. <laughs> the man's beautiful. Okay, so just to end it, uh, can we each go forth and say our favorite scenes? Considering I'm the the odd one out, I'll just go ahead and be the normie here and say I love the Sin. poison cup scene. A classic scene. Because it it is a classic it's scene. Great. It's classic for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it's the most Wallace Shawn of the Wallace Shawn scenes. Oh, wait till I get going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was just given like free reign to run in the scene. Mm-hmm. They like, they knew Wallace how Shawn, do your thing. And he's, oh, they understood know. how grading Wallace Shawn was, and they just let him run with it. Plato, same thing with, Arist- same thing with uh, Aristotle, Billy Crystal, Socrates, morons. <laughs> <laughs> just let him run just let him run all right nathan what's your favorite scene uh the the sword fighting one's pretty good Mm -hmm. i like the little the little interaction that they have beforehand (laughs) he's like oh i guess you'll just have to wait i hate waiting and one of my favorite (laughs) little back and forth is is he's like "Uh, i'll give you my words as a spaniard he's no good i too many bad spaniards anything i can do doesn't look like it he says i swear on the soul of my dead father you'll reach the top alive hard cut Throw me the rope. I love that. <laughs> little, uh, but is that your fire. favorite scene? Say yes to make it, it simple. Was... Yeah, come on, Nathan. I mean, no, Billy Crystal scene is probably my favorite. <laughs> I love that he spent like two minutes describing the scene that's not his favorite. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even going to talk about the scene that is my favorite. <laughs> i respect that move move jake what's yours okay so uh it clearly 
it's either the sword fight scene or the Wallace Shawn scene. So I want to talk about another scene that is just kind of a throwaway scene. And it's when the the three of them, Wallace Shawn, Andre the Giant, and Inigo Montoya are introduced. And uh, one of the things that Wallace Shawn yells at Andre the Giant is that, do you remember where I found you? Do you want to go back to being unemployed in Greenland? <laughs> and that just cracked me up. Like the, the worst <laughs> thing possible that could happen to you unemployed is being unemployed in Greenland. in Greenland. Can I just point out the fact that I asked you guys what your favorite scenes were and both of you just said a scene that wasn't your favorite <laughs> Let me both I, you explain what, what you, scenes what that, that. Yeah, I don't know what you're. <laughs> hey, I I told you my favorite scenes. You did, you did, um, and so did Nate. Well, that's not but what this, I described. I have one more line. I do, I uh, no, I got many lines. Or, Go for it. Well, one more underappreciated line. In the beginning, obviously, there's this whole thing how Andre the Giant is rhyming, right? And so uh, Wallace Shawn says goes. No more rhymes now. I mean it. And then Andre the Giant says, does anyone want a peanut? And I just cracked a lot of it because it's, it's a rhyme it's and you would never notice it unless you were like actively paying attention. So, Oh, there is a certain line delivery that Nathan told me about a long time ago. And now I can't remember what it is. And now I'm sad. I'll have to, I'll have to sift through months of text messages just to see. Well, I'm going to bring up one that I like a lot. What is this it? This might be it. Is when um, this is one of my favorites. Is when uh, they just revive or they just give um, the pill to Wesley, and he wakes up. He says, "Where am I? Like I'll take both together." And then um, he asks, "Like where? Who? Uh, why can't I move my arms? Who are you guys? Why am I on this wall? Where's Princess Buttercup?" And uh, Diego Montoya goes, "Let me explain. No, there's too much. Let me sum up. <laughs> That's <laughs> what it was." <laughs> Uh, it's a good one. Yeah, you texted me like so five months ago out of the blue and said, dude, there's, there's this let me part in The Princess Bride. And I'm like, dude, I haven't seen this movie in like six years. And then I watched it. And then when it came up, I'm like, you know what, Nathan? That actually is pretty funny. You're right. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, yeah. A lot of the lines are just kind of dumb, but then the line delivery makes them perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's this whole movie. Yeah. This whole movie shouldn't work on paper. <laughs> it really it doesn't. Uh, Andre the Giant's carrying all of them up the rope. And Wallace Shawn's like, I guess I'll just have to fire you and find a new giant. <laughs> and you hear Andre go, no, don't say that to Sini. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So to, to bridge our discussion between Princess Bride and Intolerance and to bring Nathan into our new segment, one of the lines... No, I'm very intolerant of these things. Okay, well, one of the lines at the very end of the film is Peter Falk is narrating and he says... Of all the kisses, five kisses were rated as the most passionate, the most pure. Remember this? Yes. Right? And I feel like that's a Donald Trump quote. Like, the most passionate kiss, believe me, the most <laughs> pure. You, you get you get where I'm getting at? Right? I do. Sure. So we have, we're introducing a new segment today, which is you, you got to pick out the quote from the movie versus the quote from some other source. And today we have quotes from Disney movies, quotes from Donald Trump, and quotes from our BFI Top 100 Movies of All Time lists. Today is Intolerance by D.W. Griffith. So, 
Nathan, since Nathan has not seen Intolerance, you have I've seen his other work though. Yeah, you've seen what? What have you seen? Explain that real quick. I've seen. I think it was his 1914 film, uh, Birth of a Nation. No, okay, well cool. then, I'll see you guys later. Where's the end button? <laughs> <laughs> so, what is Birth of a Nation famous for? Birth of a Nation is fame. <laughs> it is. Uh, let me put it this way: in the film. The climax of the film is the KKK riding triumphantly into town, liberating them from the African-Americans that have taken over. And that's the climax. Yeah, we, we both watched it in our film history class. That was like the first film we ever watched together. The first film we ever watched together. Eh, that was an experience. It's like three and a half hours. It was so long. Just it's to say black long. people are bad. And, you know, intolerance <laughs> is much the same. So, So I've picked quotes... From actually specifically intertitles, so the the titles that come up that are written uh, in because Intolerance is a silent film, obviously. So the first one is is it a, pick the into, the quote from Intolerance out of these Disney quotes. So the first quote is, "The people everywhere are singing your praises." Quote number two, "Beloved." I will begin building your city tomorrow. Quote number three, I don't understand how a world that makes such wonderful things could be bad. Disney quote or intolerance quote? I'm picking the intolerance quote, right? Yes. It's not like an either or. Okay. Uh, could I have one more time? Yes. The people everywhere are singing your praises. Beloved, I will begin building your city tomorrow. I don't understand how a world makes such wonderful things. I don't understand how a world that makes such wonderful things could be bad. I'm sorry, you're picking the Disney quote. Not the intolerance quote. <laughs> okay. Uh, number three. Number three, I don't understand how a world that makes such wonderful things could be bad. Yes. Are you sure? Final answer. Final answer. Locked in, Alex. That you are. Show me answer three. You are correct. Hey, what do I win? You win the next one, which we'll we'll just skip to. We'll skip to the President Trump one. So your job is to pick the quote from President Trump out of these intolerance quotes. Lay it on me. All right. Quote. We must destroy or be destroyed, end quote. Quote number two. I take advantage of the laws of the nation, end quote. And quote number three. Uh, there is, wait, nope, oh, I've mixed up my notes here. You're picking Disney now. Oh, okay. Ah, okay. So, oh, okay. okay. Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So you're picking the. You said okay, cool. Yeah, but you didn't acknowledge. My sister needs me to make this point. <laughs> the scene <laughs> in which uh, Andre the Giant brings uh, Inigo Montoya back from his drunken stupor, and he dumps his head in the water many, many times. Every t like when it cuts back to him on his part of the dialogue, his coverage his shirt changes wetness a lot, <laughs> going from like completely soaked to like very few spots. It's kind of funny. And anyway, I'm picking. Uh, okay, so you're picking. Trump? You're picking. I didn't know. I didn't. Vote the intolerance quote. Sorry. All right. So 
Quote, quote number one. Out, out of Trump quotes. Yes. Quote number one. Okay. We must destroy or be destroyed. Quote number two. I take advantage of the laws of the nation. Quote number three. I'm their worst nightmare. What was the first one? <laughs> quote number quote number one was we must destroy or be destroyed. Quote number two gotcha. is I take advantage of the laws of the nation. Quote number three, I'm their worst nightmare. I'm gonna say three. Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm three locked in final answer. Show me three. As the intolerance quote. Yeah. Oh fuck. No. What? I okay. I thought this is the Donald Trump quote. I'm sticking with my answer. Alex. As as what? Number one. Chandler's going with number one. Chan, uh, Nate is going with number three. Okay, so number one was we must destroy or be destroyed. And number three was I'm their worst nightmare. Mm. Oh, and I'm, I'm picking cheating. intolerance, right? Yes. Okay. This is now like well, it's going to be number one now. This is now like a labyrinth of like where are we at? Who is what and what is who? Number one, locked in finally. Okay, well I, I feel like Double we've down. been we've been cheating now. So yeah, I thought it was Donald Trump. That's why I picked. Okay, shit. So yeah, <laughs> so I let, saw this movie three hours ago. <laughs> let me explain what just happened here. If this is not the most listened to episode of this show, I'd be shocked. <laughs> if we don't get a Blue Moon sponsorship from this episode, I'll be upset. All right, so what just happened here is we all got so confused. Chandler thought he was picking... Chandler thought he was picking the Donald Trump quote, and so he picked, we must destroy or be destroyed, which was, in fact, the correct answer for the intolerance quote, which Nathan, who wasn't listening at all to Chandler, picked the wrong quote first... And then pick the right quote second because Chandler picked it. But Chandler picked it. Chandler said, oh, wait, I cheated. I'm like, oh, well, then there well, we go. Well, Chandler picked set. it. Believing w. Chandler picked it under the wrong circumstances. <laughs> it. Wow. This has been Anatomy of a Scene with Jacob Kaufman. And scene. Well, uh, you've butchered every all facet of this episode. <laughs> Let's take it back to one. Uh, go ahead and format the disc on that. This one, so I was correct. Y- you were correct in a sense. That was the into- that was the <laughs> intolerance quote within the Donald Trump quotes. Can I just say now that I'm thinking about it, I know when this quote happens. Yeah, it is during the scene in the French part of the movie when the queen convinces her son to kill the Protestants. Well, look at you. Good, good, yeah, good I, I saw the movie. Yeah, this is true. Some some other fun quotes from the film. Uh, the boy, now a barbarian of the streets. And uh, did you see that? A man visitor. <laughs> and uh, the people everywhere are singing your praises, which sounds like a like something related to Donald Trump, but not something he'd say himself. So I, oh, I oh can, uh, can I... Uh give you my favorite line in intolerance sure hold on i gotta scroll up because i saved it today well Nate, uh, it what did you ahead, think yeah. of uh of dw griffith's uh birth of a nation and we'll let you go after your your thoughts on that oh my god classic film uh i saw it one time four years ago um 
I remember it being super long. And I remember going to Barrett afterwards for dinner. <laughs> um, no, I remember it being technically good for its time, obviously. Um, that's why we even talk about him anymore, because he was solid with the craft. Well, it's also the first movie ever to be screened for an audience, a wide audience. Kind yeah. of. Not, but okay, cool. Well, you know, yeah, all right. But from what I remember, it was well made. The story was a little <laughs> out there. Fun. All right. Well, any any final final words you'd like to say, Nathan, on the podcast? Um, no. No. <laughs> Got nothing. Well, I was never given a name. Tell the people to go watch uh, Princess Bride. Yeah. Do you okay? Here, how about this? No. How about this, Nathan? Do you have a movie suggestion for people stuck in quarantine? Besides uh, the Princess Bride. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a good one. That's a that's you, not, you, I, you know. That's, war, honestly, uh, this, uh, we'll go War Games. Okay. Underappreciated. Wow. That is underappreciated. Wow. Yeah. That is out of left field. Okay. But I, that, you know, you know, bringing up Ferris Bueller's Day Off that reminds me at the very beginning of our conversation, I was going to bring it up and say that was a. A, a second. We were talking about yes, best no, movies to watch while you're sick. Yeah, I agree. That one's a second. After For Princess me, Bride. it was uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Princess Bride, and Lord of the Rings. Good ones. Well, thank you for coming on. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Hopefully I'll be back for round three, complete the trifecta. Hopefully I can of save course. this in, in post-production. Yeah, well, you're going to we'll need see. to do some doctoring. <laughs> this is gonna be it's a hodgepodge of it's gonna sound like uh you're gonna have to cut by like the syllable so we're just gonna be like talking like this the, 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 the princess bride uh all right so our bfi movie of the week is intolerance from 1915 16 16 16 by dw director dw griffith and it is a three and a half hour long movie about intolerance throughout the ages. The Dear Griffith made this in a response to his film Birth of a Nation, which was uh, people said it was racist and it was. So there you go. It, and uh, he was let's like, let's not just it's not just racist. It, it created uh, it. It created a resurgence in the KKK. Yes. The, the yes. film the film was the first movie screened in the White House. This was Birth of a Nation was a monumental event and incredibly racist. Imagine if the Nazis came back after American History X came out. Not necessarily on the same scale. Uh but yeah. Um and uh I I'll go ahead and explain the movie. Please do. Uh it is it is an epic silent movie about four different tales all about intolerance. One which is taking place in the quote modern era, which modern for 1916, about a group of women that are banding together to stop young people from having fun. Uh, there is an ancient Babylonian story between two warring cities. There's the ta- <laughs> there's the tale of Jesus for a little bit, uh, a little little bit, and then there is uh, a story of French Catholics banding together to kill the Protestants in their country. 
But let me just go right off the bat and say this is they state that this is four stories. This is two stories and then two like barely mentioned side plots. I, At least in the cut I watched. No, yeah, I was most disappointed with the French story because that one was the most... It was half... Like, Jesus was neglected completely. So I can't yes. complain. There was barely nothing of him. and But the French were kind of developed, but not developed enough to where it was like an actual story. They went from zero to 60 real quick. Yeah. We had like three or four minutes of French people being French people at a fancy European party. And then there's one scene where the mom's like, we should kill the Protestants. Yay. And then the next like five minutes is just French people massacring each other. Oh, so Chandler, what did you think of the film? This was one of the most boring movies I've ever seen. And I thought long and hard about this, um, that, you know, there's there's a certain there's a certain divide between movies as movies and movies as historical artifacts. And I can't see this as anything more than a historical artifact. Here's how I would like to put this. Would you ever consider, are there any like famous paintings that are famous merely because they're historical and they're not good on a technical level? I don't know art well enough to answer that question. No, but, but like yes. every yeah. famous painting, like Mona Lisa, it's a good painting. Yes. You don't you don't have like weird wonky paintings that are like saved just because oh this was the first person who did expressionism. Okay, yeah, no one it, cares because yes, it's, it's just, not necessarily the most technically proficient painting. It's just something that you're like that's really good for how old it is. Yeah, no one remembers other art forms for that reason yes but we do for film unfortunately so intolerance i have to say i was surprised i was surprised at how not bored i was by this film and maybe it was because i wasn't i'll, I'll uh admit i was doing other stuff during parts of it yeah uh, okay i'll just go ahead and say i watched this movie over the span of like four days i, I could not I watch more you. than like 30 minutes of it at a time that's fine. And it's, it's not because the movie is badly made. I actually think there's some pretty amazing technical stuff, especially for the time. It's just that the movie so clumsily jumps between its narratives and is so unrelenting with its message that it was hard to say stay consistently engaged. See, I think that the... And I might disagree with myself later on the podcast, but right now I'm just thinking like the very beginning was interesting because I was trying to get a grasp on what was happening with all four stories. Yeah. And then the very end was engaging because it's probably the first real use of intercutting mm -hmm. in a climax and probably the most extensive use of intercutting for a climax ever. Only maybe yes. outdone by George Lucas in the end of like the Phantom Menace. So, mm -hmm. but it, it like for a silent film, there is a lot of cutting between locations and people and actions, particularly near the end, but throughout the film, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But in that sense, you know, it's ahead of I, its time. Editing it, it, a lot of ways. Uh, fun fact about this movie is that it was financed by D.W. Griffith himself. Yep. He went through a lot of um, trouble to finance this movie 
and the parts that really show i think the babylon stuff is pretty insane well that's that's why the babylon stuff is mostly what is remembered from this film yes there's There's, like there's one shot that is a wide shot of the party scene in babylon yeah and that's one of the famous shots in cinema and yeah the the only shot where the camera moves I feel like it moves in a few other shots, but well, that's the only part that stood out to me. Okay. You're talking about when everybody's like dancing, the camera like comes down, like cranes down and then moves forward. Well, I'm talking about like the very wide shot of everything, the whole set, everyone dancing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Below. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know if you know this as well. Um, obviously, so intolerance, the Babylon sequence has these huge, absolutely huge sets. And ridiculous Uh, yeah the um where is it give me one quick second the pillars from the babylon with the elephants on top yeah they're used in hollywood they're part of the um still no, no no like not in films like it's they took them and made them a part of a mall in hollywood Oh, interesting. Yeah. The Hollywood and Highland Shopping Center in Los Angeles has the pillars with the elephants on them. So That's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know, it's just that I can't I can't say this is really a bad movie. Um it's just it's it's a very straightforward movie. It's a very imbalanced movie. It's hard, yeah, it's hard to say it's bad, especially for the time. But aside from those Babylon sequences, there's not much that I could see myself really enjoying over time. This was, more than any movie on this list so far, a slog to get through. And I don't even hate silent movies. I actually really enjoyed The Gold Rush, and I watched that all in one sitting. I enjoy Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin... Uh, well, that's all I really know. Oh, uh, Sunrise. I have to really apologize to John Cassavetes for this next statement, but I found opening night more intolerable than intolerance. <laughs> oh, no. And just going back to D.W. Griffith for a second, he financed this film. Essentially, this film was an apology. Is like, this is a three and a half hour statement from a director saying, oh, I'm not a racist. Right. Which you are, he is. regardless. <laughs> right. And the only thing I could notice throughout the entire film is like, where's all the black people? Well, they're in, the, they show up, the Ethiopians show up for a little bit. Yeah. And which then, I don't even know what that part is about. In the in the modern story, in the 1915 story, there were a few uh, minorities and they were all helping put, uh, they were all servants, essentially. Good for you, D. Griffith. I'm glad you tried, but you have failed in the absolutely worst way possible in trying to cleanse yourself of the the well, error. Ironic, ironically enough, I don't know if you saw this on the Wikipedia page, but this is uh, renowned film critic Armand White's favorite movie. Oh, did you have you ever gone on a little journey into Armand White's? Yes, like, I have. Tomato? Okay, because that's what I did. I've done it before. Because he's one of the only critics who gave Parasite a rotten review. Yep. And he's just a critic who, at 
I went through like the five stages of grief with him <laughs> of where it was like I was I was very angry that he existed as a person when I first yep. found him. And then over time, as I learned more, I was just like, oh, let him let him do what he's doing. He's doing a public service by just yelling at movies with no reason. But good for him. <sighs> Maybe we'll see at the end of his life whether or not this is all one big con because even Roger Ebert himself called him, and I quote, a troll. He got kicked out of the like Critics Association or something. That doesn't surprise me. But the fact that this is his favorite movie tells you all you need to know about this movie. I think if I didn't read that it was his favorite film, eh, if it is, it's most likely he's trolling. <sighs> the thing is, it's not. It's a movie that I, on a few levels, I respect. It's a movie you can respect, but not like. Yes. And it's, I, tr you know, I want to say that it's, I'm trying my best not to uh, let the, the silent movie biases get a hold of me because there's just a lot of um, aspects of silent movies that were just not necessarily, they were infants, inf infantile. This whole medium was, but this movie Aside from a few shots that mainly are carried by the elaborate set design, it's a lot of stationary cameras just sort of capturing actors. A few close-ups, which I think were really good just because I you can see a lot of the subtleties in an actor's face. But not a whole lot of really engaging cinematography. Yeah, so one of the things is that like film is a new art form. It's only a little over the, uh, 100 years old. And I think that the reason why we have, obviously we've said before that there are films on this list that are here because of their technical uh, yes. innovation. And the reason why we have so many of those movies is that the, the medium is so new and that we haven't have had, we have not had time to process the new movies that have improved upon these original ideas. And I, I foresee in like a hundred years from now, there will be a, if the BFI or whoever is still around then doing another list like this, there will be a lot less of these kinds of movies because critics and filmmakers will have decided, oh, this one is still relevant today. And yeah. I don't see intolerance being relevant in any way today. It has I... impacts on the history of film, but it's not relevant, yes. like in a way that Citizen Kane is still relevant yeah, in a way that agreed. you know you watch any movie today and it yeah, has but some kind of reference is, yeah the thing is as far as silent films go there are still silent films from this era that still hold up pretty well to get today i think the great train robbery is still pretty great i think a trip to the moon is still pretty great a trip this, to the moon is one of the few that will always be with us as yes yes the classic example of a silent film yes and i think that just speaks to the the good intentions but bad execution of this movie it's just uh, uh, on every level just it's 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 just not as creative as i think it thinks it is and it, the part well, it of is, is, the, the thing is that it is creative for the time it was yes. like beyond creative what it was doing that's true the the uh, multiple narrative, I guess, is something that's pretty out there for 1916. 
I think I'm talking more about the technical aspects. Uh, and I think a huge part of why this movie rubs me the wrong way, as I stated before, it is a movie that is constantly telling you what is happening and what it's about. The fact that it's called Intolerance and from the beginning it says these are four stories of intolerance. You kind of understand exactly where the movie's going to go. You're just waiting for the intolerance to happen. Exactly. And it maybe this movie was shorter. Uh, So the cut you watched was what? Three and a half hours? Three and a half hours. Yeah. I watched the two hour and 46 minute version, which I guess is the widely distributed version. I think I don't know what the difference between the two is from what i understand because they weren't they were not using 24 frame a second footage back then it was less than that it's the way that it was cranked in later on like the film the way that they exposed it when they were doing the restoration so i think what we we saw was a lot more similar than the runtimes would suggest it's just that the the version i saw was slowed down a bit because of the way that they they restored it and the version you saw was more not slowed down or sped up i don't know uh so just to get this out of the way the the talk you know going on this whole imbalance of the movie the fact that this this movie is essentially two stories i often i forgot that the whole jesus subplot even existed it's safe to ignore it completely yeah and the the french one the thing is i you know, as much as the whole, I can forgive a lot of parts of this story just in general because of technical and, uh, uh, you know, just overall lack of experience in the medium at the time. I think the, the biggest part of this movie that I just ugh, bores me is the structure. I feel like this movie is like 80% Babylon, 10% modern times, and then like another. 10% split between Jesus and France. See, I think it's a it's a firm 40% modern, 40% Babylon and then what does that leave us? 15%, no, 18% France and 2% Jesus. Yeah, but the thing is about the France stuff is that the France stuff I feel like is essentially the same as the Babylon stuff. It's not all that different. Well, the Babylon stuff is unique in the in the fact that it has you know, the set design and all that. And France has set design, but in a much different aesthetic. And it's that's, an interior versus exterior set design, I feel like. Yeah. Kind yeah. of. I, you know, you said earlier that this film would, would have worked better if it was cut down. And I, like, highly agree. Like, I would, I want someone, if you're listening to this podcast, or maybe I will, I'll just take the, the footage from Intolerance and cut it down to an hour and a half. And there you have something that might be worth watching. At three hours, maybe three, at three and a half hours, it's not worth watching. No, and t- at two hours and forty six minutes, it's not worth watching. I think this is a movie that I think can work with just Babylon and modern day. Yeah, even the France stuff, which you know, there's some things that I do appreciate. Like I do appreciate the fact that they were decapitating people in 1916. I think some of the uh, blood effects look pretty good. Oh, the there's a few times where I, I looked at the movie and like, is that did they really like? 
sorry, there's a few times where the movie made like logical leaps. And I was wondering, is this like a product of the fact that it was made in 1916 or like it was actually just a logical error. And one of them was the, the police or the national guard or whoever it was who was trying to break up the riot. They were literally firing on the protesters Yes. Like, I, I don't think it was ever legal to fire on protesters in the yeah. United States. Especially because there's like a whole line of policemen that are firing and then it cuts to, you know, the people running and nobody gets hit. Which I think is weird. So I'm like, OK, are they firing warning shots? But then they do it again later and people do get hit. It's so just weird. And then at the end with the Babylon, the the main girl, she like rides out to the cyrus's camp i'm like what was your plan like what were you intending to do by going all the way (laughs) there like you know that they're doing some shady stuff why don't you just try to explain it in the first i it was just like you're trying to save babylon maybe do it in a different way and i know that the whole you know there's a lot of technical limitations i get that but there the the lack of like a certain the the spatial awareness of this movie is just terrible where we have like scenes where two different sides are interacting with each other. You know, we have scenes of policemen firing and then people escaping or a woman looking out at a window at some other woman who's walking a certain way. and She's trying to imitate it. The lighting and just the overall camera work is so jarringly different that, you know, that it's it. there's hardly even like it's hard to even fake that they're obviously not looking at each other. I don't know. It's I think it's mainly an issue of silent film uh, limitations, but I could see past the movie magic a lot easier in this movie than other ones. Well, yeah, and I'm not sure if you noticed this, but the film did speed cranking, which was a thing with silent films where if you want to speed up the footage and make people look like they were running faster or doing things quicker... They would literally like run the film through the camera faster. Mm -hmm. So whereas today we just like go into premiere and say, speed up this footage by 10%. Then they, they would just crank it faster. And you can tell in like silent films where like everyone's going, moving faster and like punching. And I just, whenever they do that, I'm just like, Oh, that's charming. Little, little, uh, silent film, uh, a relic of the silent film era era that we never do anymore. Yeah. And, you know, if there's one thing that I genuinely appreciate, and I can't actually, I can't tell if I genuinely appreciate it or I just think it's goofy, is the last scene where you have those people fighting on the battlefield and then you have the superimposed people in the clouds dropping petals on them or flowers. Oh, well, in obviously in Birth of a Nation, one of the best movie endings of all time is Jesus comes down and is superimposed over the KKK and he blesses them. Right. Yes. And so this is I, I just cracked up during the end of Intolerance when uh, Griffith does a similar thing, but in more benign uh, terms. I and don't know. There's yeah, th- but there's something about that that I think I find genuinely pretty nice. I don't know. The fact that it's not angels is just people in suits dropping flowers for people. The movie felt more. It didn't feel ingenuine. Right? Yes. Like, yes. Griffith doesn't feel like he's. Like he knows he's a racist and he's, he's trying to apologize with this film. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like he genuinely just wants to make something that isn't going to hurt anyone like birth of a nation did. And it's just truly misguided. uh, But the thing is, I can't, 
okay, I do feel like this movie is genuine, but I there's no way it even comes close to redeeming Birth of a Nation. Oh, and this no, whole time, not in a million I, years. Yes, the whole time I was just thinking, okay, yes, you're preaching this message of tolerance, but it clearly only uh, applies to white people. You do not make a movie like Birth of a Nation as a moral slip up. You had a very clear intention and you aren't liking being labeled as a racist. So this was your apology. And while it's technically stunning for the time, and I do feel like you genuinely believe this way, in no way does it at any point redeem you of your racial ideologies from the previous movie. No, yeah, he's just he's just an idiot who thinks that it does. And it's funny because I read a little bit about D.W. Griffith as well, is that he was an actor. He was a um, son of a southern farmer, whatever, grew up in the south, uh, toured with a theater company and couldn't make any money. So he decided to go into movies as a way to make money. And he was ashamed of the fact that he was making movies. He didn't think it was real like performance art. Um, and for the longest time, he didn't even tell people that he was making movies. I just find it interesting that this man who was so ashamed of getting money from moving pictures became the first man to really bring it to a wider audience, especially because he was making movies to compete with the European market at the time, which was doing much better than the American market. And, you know, I feel like at the end of the line, D.W. Griffith is kind of the reason we are the main exporter of movies. And I just thought it was ironic that it was coming from a man who hated him. That's essentially all I had to say about the movie. I don't have much else to say. About yeah, it. there's not much more to say about what what can't like. I don't know what you can say about it. It's I you watched a different cut than I did. So the music that I had, there were like ten tracks, and it kept cycling yeah. through. Did them. you did you find one of the tracks to sound similar to the uh, opening credits of The Shining? Maybe. I don't there, know. Well, because you know how The Shining starts with the... Dun, 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 dun. It started like that, and then it went to a different melody. And then I thought, hmm. oh, I wonder if Kubrick actually, because, you know, he's a fan of classical music, maybe. I don't know. Point is, uh, I'm just going to get straight to the chase. No, it doesn't deserve to be on here. No, don't even waste your time with it. I'm debating whether or not putting it as the worst movie we've seen so far. Because at least I found the imitation of life to be laugh laughably bad. This was just boring. Yeah. See, imitation of life, I'm still baffled as to its inclusion it's so, on this list. Yeah. Yes. And I think I have to put it below intolerance simply for the reason that I found more interesting technical and historical merit That's true. within intolerance. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The sets were great. They you they know, were undeniably it, great. They put a lot of effort into making this three and a half hour film. Griffith went bankrupt doing it, so you know. Does it doesn't it, does it deserve to be on the BFI list? No, no. Get it off of here. Remove it for all time. As far as I'm concerned, D.W. Griffith should only be. Uh, cemented in film textbooks. He should be remembered as a person, not on lists. Yes. He he should be remembered, not his movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Influential, not great. Well, the next movie is a 
It is our second Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger movie. Oh, thank God. A matter of life and death. Save us. So Save us, you two. We've got some good stuff. Come All right. Uh, have you seen this? I have seen this before, yes. How would you compare it to The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp? Like, in, in what way? They're very different movies, but... Oh. They, like same, the, I'll say the same level of quality. Oh, well, Michael Powell and Amber Pressburger, you, you're going to get good quality no matter what movie, I, I, I guess. And I've only seen four of their movies, but great all around. And... The visual style, like the Colonel Blimp visual style, is pretty much the same in okay. A Matter of Life and Death. Um, but I don't, I don't really want to say much more about it. All right, that's yeah. fair. It's, it's almost like the, it's in like the same genre or the same kind of vein as Princess Bride is, but if it was made yeah. in the thirties. Okay, that's actually making me a little happy. Like a fantastical yeah. romance. And uh, while we're on it, we're also going to state. Uh, what we're planning to do for next episode are we still mm-hmm. planning to do this we are yes okay so in honor of the 30th anniversary we are going to do a discussion just in general about the david lynch helmed tv show twin peaks we'll be discussing the show the original run uh fire walk with me and the return so for anyone who's looking to get into twin peaks I obviously would uh, tell you to start with a pilot. I think that it is one of, if not the best TV pilots ever made. And in itself is kind of its own movie, I would say. Yeah, I'm going to rewatch the pilot at the very least. I might try to make my way into their turn uh, again. But yeah. The very least, well, I've seen Firewalk with me at least twice, so I, I'm feeling yeah. pretty confident it on that. Is, we're not, I mean, we're not going to go super into detail, just general thoughts the evolution the mythos so you don't necessarily need to watch everything i'm just i just thought we'd suggest it because it's the 30th anniversary i've been re-watching it as of late i'm about four episodes into the return and if this goes well i will be getting a twin peaks tattoo very cool very fun very i hope it goes well i'm hoping to all right well until next time we'll see you later see ya